This is the podcast for March 18th, 2011. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from all up in your iPhone, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. And we want to thank listener John writing us and saying, you are all up in my iPhone now. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much. Wow. That's, that's very procrustean of you. Look it up. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, John, for that. Batocchio was thinking of linking your Broder piece at the... Oh, okay. Said, but I figure it's already getting linkage at the podcast post or an open thread. Let me know if that ain't the case. And I wrote him back. It got linkage at Vanity Effing Fair and Balloon yeah. Juice, the bastard. It is. Fuck you. He's it not is. getting linkage. Yeah. He's not getting linkage at the hey, roundup. Hey, hey, good is good, baby. Good is good. You know, let, let freedom ring. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I got You were the I, only person that eulogized David Broder the way you did. So. Well. Honestly, honestly, I, without derision. I didn't call, so. I didn't, exactly, I didn't call him a dink. I didn't call him an asshole. I didn't call him stupid. Nope. Um, I called him tragic. Yeah. And uh, it was a tragedy for the rest of us too. But it was tragic that he couldn't see what was staring him in the face. And as a person uniquely equipped to hand to do the story, he was. He un- missed out. Yep. The, the failure is epic. Yep. We want to start, of course, by praying for Japan and saying that our thoughts are with everyone over there. Did you see the video that showed the Google map of the earthquakes as they were happening? Uh, No. As as little red dots? No. And just hundreds. I mean, a hundred earthquakes. Just boom, 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 boom. And about minute 17 into that video, (laughs) the big one hits, and it's a big red dot. They're just red dots. And they show next to them the... Magnitude? Magnitude, right. And then the big one happens, and then it's just it just is like confetti just sprinkling all over this rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, just horrible, horrible. This is going to turn out to be the most videoed and covered from right. every direction disaster in history. Mm-hmm. I I think I have this right that it was last week or the week before it was certainly before all this that someone unearthed the only known color photos of San Francisco after the great San Francisco. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And the idea that in one century you've gone from, you know, two or three images in in bad color of a disaster to Mm -hmm. something that you can actually watch in real time. I think there's something weird happening to my emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly that's exactly what I wanted to address about this, which Uh is I'm I'm on Twitter and I'm on Twitter probably a bit more than you are. Uh, and and I have a lot of follow a lot of people follow too many people but you are the queen of the indie blogosphere I do so. well yes and thank you everyone by the way who's voted for me in the Netroots Nation scholarship contest a lot of you have come from Twitter and a lot of you have come from the podcast and I really appreciate your support I am in the top three which means if I win at the end of this month if I'm in the top three I get a scholarship and that really helps us pay our way to Netroots Nation so. There is a link at the uh, podcast website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. If you have not voted yet, I would really appreciate your support. Mm-hmm. Um, we would because we're going to use. The, yeah. We're going to yeah. use the trip. I'm bringing him along. Yes. <laughs> so yes, please um, go to our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. Click the link and vote for me for the Do it. Do it. scholarship. Please, we really Do appreciate it. it. 
Uh, but right now I'm in the top three, so it makes a difference. If you keep me in the top three, I definitely get a scholarship. So that is great. But what I wanted to say about Japan, I was on Twitter, and there's a lot of information and misinformation going on in Twitter. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, someone there who I actually went and investigated a little bit who was in there, um, he's 23 it turned out, and, and a very informed news junkie. And we love our news junkie listeners. We love our news junkie tweeters and so forth. But he made a comment, it would be nice to know exactly what is happening at Reactor 1 with X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. And I thought to myself, dude, <laughs> you're, you're a, an American 23-year-old sitting in front of a laptop uh-huh. in the United States, but you have a need to know, you know, uh-huh. all of this detail. And it's easy to take all of this information, A, for granted, and mm-hmm. B, think that you have to have it all. Right. And really, you know, first of all, you can't know everything. There isn't anyone on the planet right now that knows everything about what's going to happen in this nu- nuclear situation. Except for John Bolton. Well, John Bolton, yeah, you're right. He just, want, he just wants to know if we, if we should attack North Korea now or maybe wait a few weeks. Yeah, it depends on how the wind blows, really, because mm-hmm. <laughs> now mm-hmm. we're getting into some really bad yeah. humor here. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Mm-hmm. But, but I want—I just wanted to add something that I heard this week about the serenity prayer. Someone was mentioning about the serenity prayer, and I believe it sort of goes, Lord, let me accept the things I cannot change, change the things I can, and have the wisdom to know the difference. Right. And this person that was talking about that said, nowhere in there does it say we have to like it. <laughs> Right. And it's not it's not like Don Adams of Get Smart at the end says and loving it. Mm-hmm. You know. We don't love the idea that you have to take this acceptance and go with it. And the fact that we have as you just said, we have <coughs> in our little laptops mm-hmm. 10,000 times more information at our disposal than they had in, during Chernobyl. Forget yeah. a, forget oh. the earthquake in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, in 1986, people didn't have this kind of access to information. So, well, and it's it's impotent access. Yeah, it's impotent access, yeah. and it's very it can be very frustrating, and it can be harmful. I think to one's psyche. Well, almost porno- almost pornographic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, obsessing over something that is happening. The now there there are of course people. Um, I'm thinking of like Terry in Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, over in Tokyo Hackerspace, mm-hmm. who I, I believe is putting together lamps, zero energy lamps, assembling the parts to, to hand out to people. Mm-hmm. So they um, have you know, people, a light yeah, at nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're using, they're using technology. They're using the internet. They're using Twitter and they're using, you know, blogging and so forth, instant messaging to get the word out and to assemble the people and assemble uh, rescue and aid and things like that, which are <clears throat> wonderful. Absolutely yep. wonderful. But I'm, I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of someone from 300 years ago who, you know, learned that their country had been conquered by someone else two years after it happened. Right. Because they were on the other side of the world. Just the, the degree to which we can watch, you know, this is, this reminds me a little bit, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit weird, that all the good science fiction smart people predicted that there'd be people on the moon, but nobody predicted television on the moon. Yeah. You know, disaster, post-apocalyptic literature is full of this kind of thing. What has never been gamed out is people watching in real time. 
Mm-hmm. And what happens to your psyche when you when you watch a terrible thing that you have no control over in real time? Uh, that's weird. That's different. That's a new thing in the world. It's unsettling. Yeah, we're praying for them. I mean, I don't know what else yeah. to say. And I think it's you know perfectly valid to recognize the power of simply keeping someone in your thoughts. You're listening to the Professional Left podcast. ProfessionalLeft.blogspot.com. As I always do, as you know, once a week, I try to do this. You know, I sent Andrew Sullivan an email, and and these days, I'm not as laughing you know, at you, Drift Glass. What? I, I'm not laughing at you. I, I was, know, but I was really thinking about this today that you spend so much time on Sullivan and Brooks. I do, and I know it's because you think they can be saved. No, <laughs> I do not think that. Oh, what do you think? Tell us. Well, anyway, you email, I interrupted you. You emailed. No, me no, 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 no. This is what conversations sound like. Mm-hmm. People talking. Yeah. yeah. It is possible they can be saved. I mean, that would be a, that would be a fine thing. But it's it's from and it's um, Michael Gerson and it's and there's this there's this middle of the political spectrum, not a centrism, but a middle of a political spectrum who don't primarily traffic in. Limbaugh lies right. and Glenn Beck crackpot conspiracy theories and do not worship Sarah Palin, but will not under any circumstances, if you put a gun to the heads of their loved ones, they would not under any circumstances admit that there that there is any difference between the two parties. Yeah, They traffic in, and I've, I know I've said this before, they traffic in the big lie, mm-hmm. which makes all the little lies possible. So Andrew Sullivan is the driving traffic force behind the Atlantic. He's going out of the Daily Beast. He's going out of Newsweek. God bless him and good luck. He hits in the millions. David Brooks, as we've talked about before, is on every fucking thing you look at. There's, there's a David Brooks app now for the iPhone. You know, there's he's on NPR. He's on PBS. He's on uh, the Sunday morning talk shows. He's in the New York he Times. He's he, and he's he's got a he, book out and he's been yes. on Colbert and he any one of the venues he appears in would be sufficient for any writer I know. He he clogs up the you know reasonable, but these are all hyphenate conservatives. This is the gay conservative, the reasonable conservative. There's the African American conservative. These are all these these people who who would ha- would not have a career mm-hmm. if the conservative movement evaporated tomorrow. Yeah. But want to stand outside the movement they created and critique it without ever acknowledging that liberals were right all along. Mm-hmm. And as long as they are permitted to continue to tell the big lie which is both sides are equally bad, or there's this middle ground between liberals and the crazy conservatives I used to be a part of, and that's where reasonable people should be. As long as they're willing to, to as long as they're free to traffic in that one big filthy lie, we're never going to be done with the conservatives. They're going to they're going to cling on. They're going to stay on forever. They, they will they will hang on and hang on and hang on because they always have David Brooks and Andrew Sullivan's. Lie as a fallback position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both sides do. And, both sides, both sides do it. Yeah. Both sides and and the false nostalgia of there was once, you know, a, a perfect spot. You know, there was once a, a conservative Camelot where where deregulation fell from the sky. We were all young and beautiful, and everything was great. Ronald Reagan was an awesome motherfucker, and everything was just wonderful. And then a bunch of stuff happened that I don't I don't want to talk about. And then George Bush fucked it all up. Or then Sarah Palin fucked it all up. Yeah, I, or then I Michelle that. Bachman it wasn't, it wasn't George Bush because then you have to go back and actually examine who elected George W. Bush. Ah, 
Yes, you, you do. Don't don't you? do that. But if you say, well, you know, the, the Tea Party came in and they're just, you know, they're just not quite there. You know, right. a lot of them have good mean well, but uh, the well, real, and, you know, the birthers and, are crazy and we can really reject them. Uh, well, and for each each of these guys individually, they draw the line at the moment they were kicked out of the GOP. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything before that was pretty much okay. You know, there were some problems, but basically it was working okay. But you know, when when um, Andrew Sullivan broke with George Bush, yeah, that was the moment at which conservatism had been lost. Before then, it was great. Everything was, was fine. Margaret Thatcher yeah. was wonderful, and yeah. Dan, you know, yeah. And, Margaret Thatcher was awesome. I wish I could have been. I wish I could have been Margaret Thatcher. For some people, it's Sarah Palin. Yeah, you know, she's she, Sarah Palin is the real problem. The Tea Party. No, the real problem is that they their movement creates these phenomena yep. because of what it is. It's inherently going. These are all emergent properties of an incredibly corrupt and evil movement that depends entirely on the base. Which we're never supposed to talk about, but there are several million people in America who are just too fucking dumb to be allowed anywhere near the political process. And without those people, conservatism is done tomorrow. This mm-hmm. is what Matt Taibbi tried to say to David Gergen. David Gergen said, well, you can't say that 40% of the American population is crazy. You just can't say that. Yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I've I can. interviewed them. I've been to their conferences. They don't care about fact. They really don't. The two core facts about the Republican conservative movement, the two – you know, I, I used this analogy years ago of a, of a nuclear reactor, and I don't want to trade on the suffering of anybody. But you know, without the the, the reactor core, without the the base, the Republican Party has no energy, no power, can't do anything. Yeah. And without the oligarchs, without the Koch brothers and people like that funding it, you know, fronting all the all the think tanks that give these losers their welfare checks every month, you know, you have no screen presence. They couldn't put themselves on television and come across as, as sober people, you know, who, who just have a different point of view. And people like Sullivan and Brooks and Frum and the rest of them cannot explain away the oligarchs and the dimwits in their midst. Yeah. So they ignore them. They pretend they're not there. Or they pretend they're irrelevant or they pretend they're a recent phenomenon. But they've always been there. Yeah, they're a recent phenomenon. I think that's yeah. really part of it. Is and so they traffic. They will never admit that the Tea Party is the Republican base. No. And always has been. Yeah, and always has been. Since, always has been. Since, since, since they were in puberty. Since, since, since they right. were in fucking puberty. Yeah. That's the thing. They have been conservative public intellectuals their entire adult life. And this has been true their entire adult life. Therefore, they've been living a lie most of their lives. It really is since desegregation. It it is. That really is the dividing line. If they want to pick a dividing line Mm -hmm. to, okay, this is when conservatism lost its mind. I'd say Appomattox, but okay. Well, yeah, okay. If you want to go (laughs) – They never got over it. But they didn't – they were able to squelch it. Yeah, of course. Jim Crow, you know, and lynching. Well, and as I have said, the only thing that has ever really changed a conservative mind is as was Union Army bayonets. Everything else, they just hang on and hang on and fight and fight and grimly resolve to keep the core of their movement alive, and that's simply true. It's these people who came along, like the you know conservative public intellectuals, the hyphenate conservatives, who who glommed onto the movement. Who owe their careers to that that dark, ugly energy? Every bit as much as Sarah Palin does. Mm-hmm. But now they want to step away and critique Sarah Palin as if she's some sort of aberration. No, she's your fucking movement. Yep. Come to life. She is full of your DNA. And she may and, be rejected at this point as being a bad spokesmodel. 
for yeah. what that movement represents because she's just sold out her well like in, in the same way glenn beck is a defective product yeah. but you know they'll retire him and put andrew breitbart in his yeah. chair yeah they'll year. just replace someone you know else. there's always a crazy yeah. warming up on the bench or yeah. warming up on the bullpen <laughs> and that's the point these are fun this is the this is the critique of david broder mm-hmm. it was these are fundamental these are, this is the greatest political story in america in, in 25 years mm-hmm. Truly, this is the most astonishing, you know, the collapse of the GOP and the complete collapse of the media is the most interesting story in American, modern American political history, bar none. And none of these people are allowed to talk about it because the minute an Andrew Sullivan or David Brooks admits this is true, their entire career is in ashes. Because then you have to say, well, aren't you a public intellectual and aren't you supposed to know this shit? I mean, having gotten everything wrong for the last 30 years, don't. You have to go to the back of the line now. now Well, don't you have to quit your job? Don't you have to quit your job and make room for people who weren't wrong for the last 30 years on every fucking major issue? And then their careers are over. And that can't be allowed to happen. Right. So they're they're stuck in this weird place where they, they, they sort of. They want to apologize. They want to acknowledge. Well, and that's what we need to talk about. That's what we need. David Brooks has been doing a, a book tour. Mm-hmm. On and I have not read this book. I have read the excerpt in the New Yorker, and I'm so glad I read it before I read your critique. <laughs> I know yeah. I called you then, and I said, you know, you you have read this right, and you said I wrote it up. Look, before I read what you wrote on it, Drift Class, I have to tell you it's the worst thing I've ever read in my life, and it mm-hmm. really is to me. Really, what you just mentioned that you know this is the most important story in the past 25 years. Yeah, and Dan Brooks stuff. is saying, really, the most interesting and important story we need to talk about is. What makes yuppies tick? <laughs> yes. So I will, will construct two cardboard yuppies. Yeah. Yeah. And make them and make them smooch each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And have these little, walking through these fake little lives, and it reads like Walden too. It does. It does. You know, it reads like really bad, bad science fiction where you're you're marching these. You know, I, it, it reads like Atlas Shrugged. You know, yeah, it reads like yeah. bad conservative fiction where. You're so desperate to bang the message home mm-hmm. that you forget that you need plot and character and yeah. people yeah. to care about what you're writing about. And the the idea that he's writing about the soul and the essence of human nature and emotional intelligence in such a completely soulless, unintelligent, yeah. Yeah. unemotional way yeah. is so deeply – Well, and uh, such a it, lazy way as well. I mean yeah. just sort of yeah. – it's written like a Women's, Women's Day article that just – got a lot of quotes from a lot of experts <laughs> yes. and threw it together and didn't, you know, it would, it, it sounds like a woman's day reject actually, you know, no, yeah. you just, you just found a lot of PhD people with their names on the end of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as this PhD says, you know, the reason that our imaginary male yuppie is attracted to the imaginary female <laughs> yuppie has to do with her body temperature. And, <laughs> and you sit there and think, I'm going to yeah. go on with this for 280 pages. Birds to self-harm rising. Mm. Yes. But yeah. he's been well, on I'm, Colbert and he's been on this book tour. Yeah. And all of a sudden you started getting lots of comments at your blog about, oh, Drift Class, he's done a TED Talk. Yeah. Please, got, Drift Class, yeah. go listen to the <laughs> TED Talk for us. And interpret what it means. So tell us about David Brooks's TED Talk on his ba- very, very bad book. Well, let me give you the my, let me give, give you my New Yorker magazine summary of my <laughs> soon-to-be-published blog post. Oh, of Which first you of will all, then repeat on the yes. podcast, right? I mean, you yes. won't write yes. anything original for the podcast. Just tell us yes. what you wrote. 
when Mark Shields and I talk on Fridays, You'll I will just repeat your this podcast from Monday. Yeah, yeah. And We're the being really bad now. This is really bad. Drift Class's point is, he's made to me several times, is that David Brooks writes 1,600 words a week. Period. That's it. And then he reads them on television for the rest of the week. And that's his whole career. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of what he writes, and you know, a lot of what he writes, and a lot of what you know, Andrew Sullivan writes, um, that are about abstract academic topics. I agree with, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's 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 the totality of their work and the direction it takes and the subtext of it, the relentless centrist bullshit subtext of David Brooks's conversations, are so creepy when you start to read them over a period of time. Well, and, and then he ends them with, and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> The last column was – I don't want to go into that in, in great detail, but the last column was astonishing. It was like someone had had a contest to see if you could, who can write the most perfectly self-negating column where every sentence negates the sentence before it, proving exactly nothing, demonstrating nothing, taking no position on anything for 800 fucking words. And I give him the award for that. Yeah. It said absolutely nothing, and it was in the op-ed page of the New York Times which, where I will never be yeah. and you will never be. And, and the writers that we like and respect across the blogosphere will never be. But he occupies that position for no particular reason. And not just that position, but he, again, he takes the crap that he writes, and it is mostly crap, in the New York Times and repeats it verbatim on the radio. And so he's a radio performer. And then he goes on television repeats it there. And now he's a television star. And then he goes on TED. And his TED speech was the first five or six minute, minutes of it was verbatim, almost verbatim. The introduction to his little speech that I went to last year just to see him in person, tape what he said, and hear how he performed in front of a, an audience where people could ask questions. Mm-hmm. And it was the same, you know, ha, 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 welcome to be here. Aren't yuppies funny? Aren't, aren't liberals stupid? Look at all the whole food crap that they get for their kids. Ha, ha, ha. But seriously, folks. <laughs> and then it's off to, you know, I've, I've spent 30 years of my career reporting on failure. And one really big change between his his the speech I saw him give in person and this one was he didn't mention the stimulus in this one oh. because during the speech I went to the speech I went to see him in he was hammering home the point that liberals and conservatives both get things wrong so conservatives for example for only the best reasons for the very best of intentions sort of got the Iraq war wrong. But liberals got the, the stimulus wrong, so really everybody's wrong That's about big, important things. And then he proceeded to lie about his own record about the war and then move on from there. But the TED speech, he didn't say that. The TED speech, he said it was like the Iraq war, which he blamed on the military's lack of knowledge of local culture. Oh not Bill Crystal, not David Brooks. Not John Bolton. Not John Bolton, not all of his good friends on the Project for New American right. Century, not his President Bush lying into that war. None of the things that actually caused the problem were part of his speech. And I have to believe that's because nobody – there were no questions to be asked. So he just he, – he said privatization in Russia, Iraq war, and the collapse of the world economy thanks to predatory Wall Street you know, lenders, bankers. And I sat back and go, the three things you've identified, David Brooks – in your talk, which you, which you, which you are saying, I'm just reporting on this. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you were complicit in all those things. <laughs> you know, you were a, an Iraq War cheerleader. Your ideology 
was all about forced, brutal privatization, which is what happened in Russia. Your ideology was all about massive banking deregulation. Your hero, you know, Ayn Rand and Alan Greenspan gave birth to the whole idea of radical deregulation. What you've identified is complete failure of conservatism for 30 years. And he will never say the word conservative, and he'll never say, and I was part of the problem. And it was this weird, you know, dis- dissociative alien experience where, like, dude, you're the one covered in blood right now. Yeah. You're the one holding the axe in your hand, and you're, and you're surveying the, the damage you've done going, I wonder how all these bodies got here. Isn't that strange? Isn't it unfortunate that this th- thing happened? Well, let's move on to my next point. And it, it's, it's to the point where I think there's a form of psychosis going on there because he really can't admit that he was wrong about anything. He, he covers it up and covers it and hides and cowers and lies about it every time anybody asks him about it, which is why he, he puts himself in venues where nobody is allowed to ask any real questions. Yeah. And it's creepy. <laughs> you know, it's fucking creepy. And it wouldn't bother me at all if this were just some guy in the local news station. But this is arguably the top conservative public intellectual in America at a time when nobody's willing to talk about the fact that conservatism is the problem in this country. And he cannot apologize for that. No. Ever. No. No. Because the the day he apologizes and admits that he was wrong, and it's not that liberals were wrong too, it's he personally got this shit wrong, Mm -hmm. his career is over. Mm -hmm. Because if that happens, you have to admit that the, the ideology that made your career possible and to which you still cling has been a lie, and then you have to go home and never come back again. And that's never going to happen because then he'll have to give up that pretty house in Bethesda and he'll have to take his kids and put them in public school or whatever the fuck you have to do when you have to work for a living. And that's not going to happen. So speaking of Americans that work for a living, mm -hmm. uh, I think this is totally related to the problem of David Brooks. And when you talked to me about it earlier this week, Mm -hmm. I had just read this article and it just a flash went off my brain that that. These two issues are connected. The issue of David Brooks and this article in Alternet called The Moral Underground, How Ordinary Americans Subvert an Unfair Economy. Mm -hmm. And it is about people who work in big box stores or work for large corporations that have entry-level people, mostly retail, but not entirely retail, and Mm -hmm. a kind of economic civil disobedience that goes on in the workplace today that didn't happen 20 years ago where a woman who can't get to work because she can't drop her child off at daycare because daycare is requiring her to bring diapers in and she has no money for diapers. Uh And so this manager pulls diapers off the shelf of the inventory of the store mm-hmm. and takes them down to the daycare center as a you know mm-hmm. as a expensive doing business you know i need this woman to be at work she's going to get fired if she has one more sick day she's not sick she just she has, has kids she has kids she's and no money because we she's poor. are enslaving her because we aren't paying her what she's worth to us mhm mhm and so, you know, the the chain store manager who thinks working families ought to have enough to eat and diapers for their baby does mm-hmm. something about it. You mean he's got a little shred of humanity left? Yeah, well, that's the point. They justify it by saying, you know, 
protecting children from harm trumps everything else, including the needs of the corporation I work for. And and this is happening late in this cycle, as far as I'm concerned. This is the mm-hmm. way, and and I I think it's a harbinger of of more to come in terms of revolution. I really do. That it's going to yeah. get to the point where it's so obvious that corporations don't give a crap about humanity and the human beings that work for them in this country. That no. you know, theft or you know, and not, and not to advocate the theft or advocate illegality, but. Mm-mm. What isn't illegal about Bank of America getting a tax refund? You know, what is not illegal about that? What is not immoral well, about that? The, the fact that they control the lawmakers yeah. by virtue of the fact that they are corporations with, you know, infinitely more resources mm-hmm. than you, you or I have means they get to write the rules. Yeah, but And they write the rules in such – and this is why, you know, conservatives have no problem with this because – that little Levitican brain that says, as long as you obey the rules. Right. Well, what happens when the rule makers are themselves corrupt? corrupt. Exactly. What happens when the priests are raping kids? What happens when <laughs> it becomes a moral choice between two <laughs> things that are both in the book of Leviticus mm-hmm. and conflict each other? Help mm-hmm. your neighbor and, you know... Be completely 100% honest with the corporation who is hiring at at a wage that no one can live on. Well, this is why the Bible did have rules for how slaves should be treated and masters See, should be treated. See, that's the point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is where we – and this is why the Republican Party skipped over all the stuff about three-fifths of a person <laughs> and slavery when they read the Constitution out loud because uh-huh. – no, we really that's inconvenient. You know, we're just going to leave that out. And Well, and and the, the libertarian answer to the woman who's poor and doesn't have, you know, enough money for her children and has to work and wants to work mm-hmm. is working. Yeah. Is A, moralized. She should have known better. She shouldn't have had kids. B, well, that's not really my problem. Or C, you know, she should get out in the marketplace and apparently start her own Walmart and go into competition yeah. with with her former employer or find a better job. And when you go down the list and go, well, those three things aren't working. Those three things are fantasies invented in your little masturbatory mm-hmm. libertarian fiction. But that's not the real world. You know, the answer is the answer is, look, I don't want to have to think about it. She's not my fucking problem. If she lives or dies, I don't give a shit, and you can't make me give a shit. That's what libertarianism is really about. Well, and libertarianism apparently, libertarianism and the and the natural logical extension of the Tea Party goals includes what this woman in Missouri is doing, saying child labor laws, we don't need them. My kids worked, it was great. You know, my kids worked and had two fully educated parents supporting them in a safe neighborhood where (laughs) we were keeping an eye on them and making sure they had nice jobs to go to because our brother-in-law hired them. So, Uh you know, that was fine. But, you know, this idea that an unregulated market is going to treat workers correctly all the time, yeah. even if well, they're it, nine, is well, not possible. It, it, the fantasy that an unregulated market is an unreservedly good thing yeah. is the same fantasy that an unregulated nuclear pile is a good thing. Yeah. No, you have control rods because it will run out of control and destroy everything around it. That's why you have to control it. The idea that the solution to 
poor market regulation is to yank the control rods completely and just let it fucking run wild because yep. it'll, it'll just – capitalism running completely berserk, uncontrolled, and wild is the ultimate good. Is such a completely morally – it's such a completely psychotic idea. Yeah. That, you know, once you drill into it, say, well, why, why would that be? Here are the consequences and you outline the consequences. What happens to people who can't compete? You know, what happens when it's a winner take all system and the person you're fighting against has a trillion dollars and you have nothing? You know, he wins every time. That's the way it works. The answer is, I don't care. Right, right. I don't care about my fellow man. Fuck my fellow man. I'm going to win because I'm young or I'm strong or I'm smart or my boss likes me or whatever. Um, uh, me and mine are taken care of, and the rest of humanity can go suck it. Yep. That is at the heart of libertarian conservative thinking. And at some point, we have to sort of acknowledge that and say, well, we're never going to be able to communicate with them because their worldview is simply incompatible with ours. And and so then, what, then where does that leave us? Well, it's interesting. I got an email from my congressman today. To me, illustrates so much of what this is about. Your congressman, the awesome, My, the uh, tolerant liberal John Shemkus, yes, yes. one who said God will decide when the world is en- ending, so we don't need to worry about global warming. We just, yeah. you know, because it means it, we, and he means it because the coal industry gives him more money than they give anybody else in the world. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> but the, just the the contrast and the framing. Of John Shimkus's newsletter to his constituents, which is, you know, this net neutrality thing. You know, if you go over and read Al Franken's website, I'm sorry, I'm, it's it really is sad. This is sad. Okay, this okay. is about big telecom businesses taking over the internet. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Big corporations. Wanting to take over and control how you access information. They're coming, Al Franken just said, look, they're coming after the internet. Period. Because yeah, it's the next it's thing. The next yeah. thing. And it's where the money is. Mm-hmm. So, so Shimkus's newsletter frames it as, let's stop the FCC internet takeover. The FCC, I'm going to read this to you. Unfortunately, uh-huh. Some in Washington now want to put the brakes on the Internet's development. By regulating Mm -hmm. it through the FCC, they would Mm -hmm. put the future of this national treasure in the hands of bureaucrats. No, they want to put it, they want to (laughs) hand it to AT&T and Verizon. Well, you know, and it's those those Frank Luntz market-tested phrases. Yeah, no, they would put this national treasure, that's Frank Luntz right there. In the hands uh-huh. of bureaucrats, listen, this is gonna, you're gonna die. Rather than the proven hands of the same free market that fostered the internet's incredible expansion. Ah, yeah. Oh, I can just, I can just feel a warm bath of corporate <laughs> of fascism urine rolling over down me. His leg. Oh, I mean, it's, just... it's, it's so warm and golden. It's like <laughs> champagne without the bubbles or the, you know, or the the effervescent effect. Yeah, and you're supposed to pretend it's a warm spring rain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it says it all. It just says it that's, all. That is it all. This may be apropos of nothing, but I would like to share with our readers or listeners. Mm-hmm. I quoted a Ray Bradbury story. Everybody, take a drink. And I, I got a request for someone to 
from someone about what what was that story you you quoted about some old guy in the future after a major war um, who remembers things and gets in trouble for it. And I just want to let everyone know the story is called The Chicago Abyss okay. or To the Chicago Abyss. And I'd like to read a little bit out of it, if sure. you don't mind, Blue Gal. At moments when we despair, when we look down the long gun barrel of history and see that, you know, in the long run, I have great confidence in the human race. But in the short run, we have a lot of problems, yeah. you know. And what can what can we do in the face of this sort of tidal wave of self absolving, lobotomizing stupidity that seems to have an infinite amount of money and an infinite, an infinitely loud voice at its command. Um, what, after this long struggle, can we liberals do? Yeah. And I found, not the answer, but I found a lovely quote from the old man who's just been beaten up for remembering. He, sat, he was sitting in a park remembering um, cigarettes and Candy bars, mm-hmm. and then there are police that will now arrest you for you know inciting to riot because the people of the future have nothing. And the old man is trying to explain why he's doing what he's doing. He says, "Yes, I am a fool. How did I start my foolishness? Years ago, I looked at the ruined world, the dictatorships, the desiccated states and nations, and said, what can I do? Me, a weak old man, what? Rebuild the devastation? Ha!'" But as I lay half asleep, one night an old phonograph record playing in my head, two sisters named Duncan sang out of my childhood a song called Remembering, Remembering is all I do, dear, so try and remember too. I sang the song, and it wasn't a song but a way of life. What did I have to offer a world that was forgetting? My memory. How could this help? By offering a standard of comparison. By telling the young what once was, by considering our losses, I found the more I remembered, the more I could remember. Depending on on who I sat down with, I remembered imitation flowers, dial telephones, refrigerators, kazoos, thimbles, bicycle clips. No, not bicycles, but bicycle clips. Isn't that wild and strange? Antimacassars. Do you know them? Never mind. Once a man asked me to remember just... The dashboard dials on a Cadillac. I remembered. I told him in detail. He listened. He cried great tears down his face. Happy tears or sad, I cannot say. I only remember. Not literature. No, I never had a head for plays or poems. They slip away. They die. All I am, really, is a trash heap of the mediocre. The third best hand-me-down, useless, chromed-over slush and junk of a racetrack civilization that ran over a precipice. And I thought that was just the most beautiful thing I'd read when I read it when I was a little boy. And and uh, and Ray Bradbury writes a lot about that stuff. He writes about remembering. Well, I the act of remembering. That's Fahrenheit 451, too. People write us a lot. We, we get lots of email and lots of comments and feedback from people who who want to do something. And, and you should join labor movements and you should contribute to good causes and you should sign petitions and you should do all those things. Uh, you should act locally and fix sidewalks and get involved in politics, but you should also, for God's sakes, remember, you know, don't let what happened to this country slip away. Mm-hmm. Don't let it be forgotten. And and when your greatest weapon as a liberal or as a rational human being is the standard of comparison you can offer, when someone's bitching about whatever they're bitching about, come, don't come back with them, I hate you fucking fuckers. Mm-hmm. It's, don't you remember when 
things were different. Don't you remember what it was like yeah. two years ago, yeah. three years ago, four years ago? That's your secret weapon. Yep. And guard it well. Yeah. So anyway. Well, and I had a person flip me off this week for my bumper stickers. That happens every once in a while, maybe three or four mm-hmm. times a year. And my bumper stickers say things like, God is not a Republican or a Democrat. That's the one from Sojourners that gets people so mad. They want God to be a Republican, apparently. And war is not the answer. And the third one says, God bless the USA, question mark, God bless the world, exclamation point. And that causes people to want to give me the finger with my kid well, in the car. I'm a hippie. I'm a liberal. I mean, you know, I'm... An object of derision for having those bumper stickers on my car. And it's pure Rush Limbaugh. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it for a long time yesterday. And I realized, wow, you know, they're following a multimillionaire who preaches a gospel of hate. Instead of a poor carpenter who preaches a gospel of love. What part of anti-Christ do they not (laughs) understand? And, you know, I don't mean that in the satanic way. I'm not trying to be. (laughs) I'm talking opposite day here. Well, and, and, the, and the people on the side of the light, I mean, you know, this is something we talked about during our practice podcast. <laughs> um, Sometimes we but, record these things several times because we just love truth. talking to each other. We do. We do. It's actually a lot of fun. And we're, really not, we're in the middle of the week. We're never in the same house. So it's, it's, yeah. this is kind of our catch up time too. So bringing it back to a prayer for Japan that even if you're an atheist mm-hmm. and we both know and love our atheists, and I'm an agnostic. I mean, you know, I, look up look up that word, and you'll see what it means. It means I don't know, but that doesn't mean you can't join the fight on the side of the light and the good. Yeah, there is a right and there is a wrong. However, whatever moral system you use to arrive at that conclusion, there are good things and there are bad things. And there's people out there who follow hateful people mm-hmm. for money, mm-hmm. and and in any and call social or- Christian. I mean, that's the and other that's, thing. Go to bed at night thinking they're Christian. Yeah. And and so it, it doesn't matter how you come to the fight. We need you in the fight. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to indulge myself one more thing. And and I'll read one more little line from this story, and I'll give and I'll and I'll put it back, and <laughs> I'll never pick it up again. The old man is talking about you know people who can do bigger things than him who can who can he says you know those who can weave and build butterfly nets let them weave let them build my gift is smaller than both and perhaps contemptible in the long hoist climb jump towards the old and amiably silly peak but I must dream myself worthy for the things silly or not that people remember are the things they will search for again. I will then ulcerate their half-dead desires with vinegar, gnat, memory. And then perhaps they'll rattle-bang the big clock together again, which is the city and the state and the world. So do your job, people. Remember, pray, have good thoughts, act in a good way. And uh, that's thanks enough for us. That and five bucks every now and then will do me just fine. Yeah, five bucks. Hey. Well, and and I want to say, too, that we so appreciate our listeners of every religious stripe. And I have said this before, but I definitely feel that the atheist and agnostic listeners among us 
are going to get into heaven before I do. Yeah, yeah. Because they have a harder job. They have a harder job, and and they do it better they don't than have, we do. They don't they have don't, a crutch. They don't have faith. To Dance without on. a crutch, yeah. And so <laughs> they're clever it's and good without needing the carrot or the stick of religion to make it through. And that's to mm-hmm. be that is to be Amen. commended. Yeah. Yeah, we and want, celebrate. We want to thank our listeners. We celebrate you. Say, spe- speaking of our listeners, the ones and from all over the con- all over the world. I mean, yeah. we're getting emails from strange and wonderful places yeah. nowadays. Thank you so much to our international listeners, and we're so glad to have you on board. And uh, your kind words mean so much to us. And thank you for the votes. I want to plug that again. There is a <laughs> link at our website, professionalleftoutblogspot.com where you can vote for me, which means you're voting for us and giving us a chance to win a scholarship to Netroots Nation, which will help defray our costs as we journey up to Minneapolis this summer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to do our thing up there. And we will be podcasting from there as well. So just guaranteed. And uh, thank you so much for your votes. It really uh, We're in the top three right now. The top three people are guaranteed a scholarship. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's tight. The the I'm third, and the space between third and fourth is narrowing. So uh, mm-hmm. please get on board and vote for me, if you will. There is a link at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can click that button and give me a vote, and I really appreciate it. At our mm-hmm. website also, professionalleft.blogspot.com, you can listen to past episodes of our show for free with no download and no registration, streaming right out of your computer, anytime, day or night. Finally, uh, at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, you can put five bucks in the hat. That also helps defray our costs. We never ask for more than five bucks, and we're very grateful to you for your support and vote of confidence uh, to drop five bucks in the hat and support the work that we are doing to put this podcast Mm -hmm. together every single week. Mm-hmm. Finally, we have an email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com. That goes to both of us. We had to test that this week, but it's working. Good. And we are both getting emails from that address. Again, it's proleftpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Thank you again, John, for the you are all up in my iPhone <laughs> laugh. We appreciate that. And we appreciate <laughs> longer emails, too. It's a great exchange. We do try to reply to everyone. And uh, actually, a couple weeks ago, I had an email from somebody saying, wow, celebrities never write back. (laughs) Yeah, and you're right, they don't. They don't. (laughs) But we do. But we do. That was kind of my point. I said, if you had any idea how humble we actually are, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you'd be be really shocked. So (laughs) just write us. Come on. We love hearing from you, and we love writing back, and we love the exchange. So how are the Internet Kitties doing tonight? Well, the Internet Kitties are doing what one million other Chicagoans do in Blue Gal, angling for gigs on Rahm Emanuel's transition team. So eat your heart out, Donald Trump. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with the switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2011, Drip Glass Blue Gal Podcast. They wow. actually asked him on the morning show or whatever, one of these shows. Some some news babe asked him, well, so are you going to now that you're running for president? Mm-hmm. 
And he said, well, you know, I can't do that right now because I've got Celebrity Apprentice coming. (laughs) Once that's done taping, I'm Mm -hmm. free to go. Who knows where his bread is buttered? (sighs) So, you know, this is really, this is where we're at politically. Pretty amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's it. Yeah, I think we're we're done at at, at 11 o'clock at night on Wednesday. Wednesday. Your wife to be. Oh, oh, we didn't tell people. We set a date. We're not going to tell you the date. It's the middle of August when the kids are home. So, and we're excited, and family members are excited. We're excited, but you know, you know how I am with uh, the personal info. Personal info. By the way, want anyone to know what flavor the cupcakes are going to be? Huh? No. (laughs) Middle child wants to do fruit kebabs. This is this is theater of the mind. (laughs) Let them imagine when. you know, it's in the middle of Maytopia. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I know what's. I know what. I know what's going to be frosted on the cake. Fight the power. <laughs> <laughs>